well, 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 Chandler. Lauren, over the weekend, it was a stunning couple days thanks to Taylor Swift's new album. Oh, yeah. Okay. I just want to say that this is a true return to form for Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm, Midnight's mm-hmm. is excellent. It's excellent. It's everything that I wanted Folklore and Evermore to be. It's really, I think, like the companion or version two of 1989. Mm-hmm. I am obsessed with Midnight's. Yeah. I loved Folklore. Some of my favorite songs are off of Folklore. So I wasn't longing for anything different with Folklore. That being said, I just have forgotten, I think, how good Taylor Swift is at writing pop songs. Well, did you know that Taylor Swift recently revealed, Chandler, Mm -hmm. that she writes from three different figurative pens? Wow. Okay. Like a ballpoint (laughs) and a fine tip and a gel or something? Uh, A quill. Okay. Uh, She writes from a quill. She writes from a fountain pen. Okay. And she writes from a sparkly gel pen. That's what she said. And this album leads with sparkly gel, in my opinion. And that is why I love it so much. Like, I... I don't love Quill Taylor Swift. I -hmm. I can appreciate some of the songs and I do enjoy it, but I don't love it. Like I do sparkly gel pen Taylor Swift because I think that's when she's embracing like her true effervescence, her true um, kind of like high school girl at heart that we just all can relate to. It's just super romantic. Mm -hmm. And I think with folklore and even more so with Evermore that was like full, I would say Evermore was full Quill. Um, right. I just, I don't even, I just don't like it when she takes on other characters or when she writes from the perspective of like, I'm an heiress and you know, this is a song right. about being an heiress. Like, I don't care about that. I don't like it when she takes on uh Woodsy. Yeah, we're done with Dorothea. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I appreciate the hormones, the sparkly gel pen, journal writing, you belong with me, Taylor Swift, because it's just, it's super romantic. And I think that's where her lyrics shine. Mm-hmm. And I think Lover really did that for me. I, I love the album Lover. I also love 1989. And this, to me, felt like a combination of those two albums. Um, okay, so I actually have the quote. She just accepted a war, award and like some award show for 10 years, basically, of music. And yeah. it is quite the accomplishment, right? To yeah. have such a prolific career. I mean, she's right, just right. given us so many songs also one of the things I want to say is like I wonder if she sat down with Joe and was like hey like I try to pretend to write in like characters so I'm not like mm-hmm. talking about other guys yeah, like I'm talking yeah. about fictional people but it's not really slapping for everyone I gotta go back to talking about my ex-boyfriends and you just gotta like take it because that's it. what's you know right right letting us live in Taylor Empire I don't know that's just something I'm curious about yeah if they yeah. ever had that conversation I mean, I think he knows what she's good at and why she's so good at it. I mean, maybe that conversation happened, but maybe he just understands her. Maybe he's unbothered by it because he's so confident. Okay. You know, actually, I am not going to read this quote. Just Google quill, fountain pen, all of that. Wait, does she actually say quill and fountain pen? Yeah. That is hilarious. And also, it's just so Taylor. Like, it was funny. It, it was funny when you when I thought you said it. And now that it's like something she said, I'm like, of course. Okay, so she said, I've never talked about this publicly before because, well, it's dorky. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, here we go. But I have in my mind secretly established genre categories for lyrics that I write. Three of them, to be exact. They're affectionately titled Quill Lyrics, Fountain Pen Lyrics, and Glitter Gel Pen Lyrics. 
I know this sounds confusing, but I'll try to explain. I came up with these categories based on what writing tool I imagine having in my hand when I scribble it down figuratively. I don't actually have a quill anymore. I broke it once when I was mad. I categorize certain... Yeah, I broke it once when I was mad. I mean, the fact that she owned a quill and then the fact that she snapped right. it in half in a because fit of so rage. Furious. It's like, it's, this the, is why, this is where she loses me. This is where she loses it's me just every like, time. Taylor Swift is just so Taylor Swift. It's absolutely outstanding. I categorize certain songs of mine in the quill style if the words and phrases are antiquated. If I was inspired to write it after reading Charlotte Bronte or after watching a movie where everyone is wearing poet shirts and corsets. You should not have read this quill for me because she just is getting worse and worse. <laughs> Charlotte Bronte. Okay, come on. We get it. You visited the classic section of Barnes & Noble once. I don't know. It's just sometimes it's like Bridgerton core or Bridgerton yes. fanfic. It's just not my favorite sonic genre. Right. Um, she writes, if my lyrics sound like a letter written by Emily Dickinson's great-grandmother also no. in the lace curtain, that's me writing in the quill genre. Oh, yes. Full quote. I will give you an example from one of my songs I categorize as quill. How's one to know one? I'd meet you where the spirit meets the bones, in a faith-forgotten land, in from the snow. Your touch brought forth an incandescent glow, tarnished, but so grand. I do not know where those lyrics are from. What song okay. are from? Well, we're going to move on to lyricism from category number two, Chandler, the fountain pen. Okay. She says most of her lyrics fall into this category. Fountain pen style means a modern storyline or references with a poetic twist, taking a common phrase and flipping its meaning, trying to paint a vivid picture of a situation down to the chip paint on the doorframe and the incense dust on the vinyl shelf. Yep. Placing yourself and whoever is listening right there in the room where it all happened, the love, the loss, the everything. The songs I categorize in this style sound like confession scribbled and sealed in an envelope, but too brutally honest to send. An example, Chandler, let me know if you remember where this came from. Because uh, there we are again in the middle of the night. We're dancing around the kitchen in the re- refrigerator light. What song Down is the this? stairs, I was there. I remember it all too well. That's from the song All Too Well, Chandler. One of her most moving, the imagery there is 10 out of 10, end to end. You know what? I honestly should have a fucking refrigerator on the dance floor when Kagan and I do our first dance. To quote the one and only Joe Peacock, who you should do a full deep dive on this album with. Yeah. But yeah, that is an incandescent glow to do your first dance to. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. He said it best, truly. Um, okay. The third category is glitter gel pen. This is all her direct quote of why. And it lives up to its name in every way. Frivolous, carefree, bouncy, syncopated, perfectly to the beat. Glitter gel pen lyrics don't care if you don't take them seriously because they don't take themselves seriously. Glitter gel pen lyrics are the drunk girl at the party who tells you in the bathroom that you look like an angel. It's what we need every once in a while in these fraught times in which we all live. Um, So true. Example, my ex-man brought his new girlfriend. She's like, oh my God, but I'm just going to shake. So shake it off. All right. Wow. I appreciate gel pen. I appreciate fountain pen. I'm just less into the quill. You know what, though, Lauren? You what? have quill capabilities within you. I know. That's why I don't like it. It's because I don't like that side of myself. I'm right, turned off right. by it. I'm, I find it to be cringe. <laughs> and I don't like when other people embrace it within themselves because it makes me afraid. And then are very successful at it. <laughs> I Yeah. I remember one time I was telling my friend that I just love the style of what people wore during Pride and Prejudice. Like, I love those empire waists. I love those long gowns. Like, why don't we wear those clothes anymore? It was in high school. And she was like, Lauren, you should wear dresses like that. Like, if you love it so much, just wear it. Just I will it. support you. Who cares? Just be you. That was not a true friend. That was not a true friend for the record. No. 
I posted that story of Ben and I, and I talked about loving the same four Taylor Swift songs, and people were like, what songs? What songs? So I think, mm. can we just share our quick ranking of our top favorites right now? Definitely. You can go first. Okay. I will say that number one for me, Sweet Nothing. I think it's Invisible String level, in my opinion. I love Invisible String. I love In Love, Satisfied, Content, Happy, you know, whole Taylor Swift when she mm-hmm. when she sings about Joe, which is who I assume the song is about. Also because he is credited as one of the writers or William Bowery, his like pen name, which is such an eye roll. That's full Charlotte Bronte. <laughs> That's so Quill. It's, it's full Quill. <laughs> um, okay, so that would be my first. Um, my second one would probably be Maroon. My third is probably Question. And fourth is probably lavender haze and then Mm. my fifth that's totally grown on me and i was like was dancing last night to it while i was like cleaning up is karma i think karma is so good it's interesting it's spun as like karma is a good thing and it's just it's it's a great bop so those are my tops my top is i love maroon i love question i like antihero a lot i think it's such a bop i love the beat but the thing i don't love about antihero yeah is that i just feel like she takes a lot of liberties with this ex from high school yeah, who yeah, was yeah. desperately in love with her, wanted her to be his bride. And now, you know, she was after making her own name. She was after fame. Right. And he stayed the same. I mean, that's a little rude. Like, oh, it's been probably 15 years and he's exactly the same. Like, how often is she going back to the Christmas tree farm town and like hang out with him? He didn't evolve at all. Like, I'm his defense attorney right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's look him up. Let's find him. Even when people, you know, have a passion for place and the local and want to stay in the same place, they can still evolve and grow. Yeah. It's so true. I don't know. It's a little self-aggrandizing yeah. and I don't yeah. like that side of Taylor. It was like the side of Taylor that had that song lyrics about the audacity of that waitress to say I look like an American singer. Right, right. Sometimes she can just get a little big for her britches. Right. Yeah, absolutely. She's only given us 10 years of insane music, but yeah, too big for her britches. I'm here to bring her down to earth. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I love Mastermind, Snow on the Beach. I I really love most of it. Wait, wait. Snow on the Beach, Maroon, Antihero, Maroon, Antihero, Snow on the Beach, Question, Midnight Rain, Mastermind. Those are my top. Okay. Okay. So you don't really like Sweet Nothing. You know, Sweet Nothing is kind of like Invisible Strings invisible string to me Mm -hmm. i never really got into it really that's okay that's all right um Mm -hmm. i yeah content taylor might not be my favorite taylor i might like (sighs) wistful nostalgic yeah full of longing taylor right right that's true that's true i could see that okay thank you everyone i'm planning on doing a deep dive hopefully with joe joe doesn't know this yet but joe you're gonna come on the pod and talk about midnights with me so i'm sure he's listening to our episode yeah so (laughs) Let's uh let's move on though. Let's move on because I feel like the juiciest part of this episode is this article, you guys. Yeah. yeah. And so our dear friend Candace sent us this article and it was so disturbing and really I felt like brought a lot of things to light for me mm-hmm. about one Brad Pitt. Yes. And I feel like we owe it to our audience to bring them this groundbreaking research. The truth. I just want to say a note about the author. This article is by Anne Helen Peterson. She is one of the best pop culture writers who really does like a true study of pop culture. Like she doesn't just like write mm-hmm. fun, I don't know, 
beach read pop culture pieces it's not just jared yeah but yeah exactly like this is cultural analysis this is cultural anthropology yeah she does like a you know doctorate level analysis of all of pop culture and celebrities and so anyway she has a great Substack that candace showed me and showed lauren so everyone should subscribe to her Substack. so one of the things that i think i have felt really uncomfortable with is everyone's adulation of brad pitt in the past couple what of does years. adulation mean it just means like sycophantry like this is classic lauren i ask her what a word means and then she lists off an equally like large word oh my god uh yeah, it's just people are obsessed like, with brad pitt yeah. adoring yeah. fandom you know I mean, um blinders on can i just state for full disclosure's sake when i saw the lost city another terrible movie i definitely wanted to leave halfway through like you see him on screen and he's just unfortunately such an attractive man you have right. to like really turn down your biology in order to see him as like the faulty character that he is because he's just so damn hot and he continues to be yeah, I just don't. I don't agree. I don't. I'm not so. Really? I think that Brad Pitt in Legends of the Fall, to quote one of my favorite poems, that's a gene pool I would like to wade into with my pockets loaded with rocks. But with Brad Pitt today, I, I, it doesn't do it for me. He's like old to me. Okay, respectful. It almost reminds me of a very extreme case of this, which is Johnny Depp. Exactly. It's like this guy that clearly, you know, there's more it's this guy i hate this word but this guy that's like maybe a little problematic yeah we are just all completely looking past that right, right. and not just maybe a little problematic like there's clear evidence this guy yeah. has been up to no good at certain right, points right in ways in which our culture generally finds despicable and finds that there needs to be some sort of cultural reaction and for brad pitt we have a lot of blinders on and so anyway I feel like this article lays bare the problems in a really succinct, yeah. articulate way. And I just want to read it with you and read it for our listeners. Yeah, I completely agree. And let's just also acknowledge us even a week ago, two weeks ago, when we did Gwyneth Paltrow deep dive, we had our blinders on for Brad Pitt. We were like, right. you know, he attacked Harvey Weinstein. He defended her, her honor. And maybe mm -hmm. he wasn't problematic back then, but we, we didn't really give any context for present day Brad Pitt, who who a lot has come to light about. So anyways, I agree. Let's read it. Let's bring the truth to our listeners. And this is one more thing I, I want to say as well before we get into it. It's that I think that celebrity Chandler, I think people don't really understand the power of PR and they really don't get the way that images are controlled and manipulated mm -hmm. and created. Mm -hmm. And the actual right. person can be completely removed from the way that headlines and media outlets you know, generate a narrative about someone. Yeah. So then in our heads, there's one person like Bill Cosby. And then in yeah. reality, there's the real Bill Cosby. And I'm not trying to say Brad Pitt is Bill Cosby level, but I think that beyond the surface of the the front pages of magazines, you know, I would say malevolence can lurk. And so with that said, let's jump right into this article. Okay, it's titled Brad Pitt in the Stink of Sad Smut. It's by Anne Helen Peterson, as Chandler said. One more little disclaimer. This article and then our conversation is going to touch on domestic abuse and domestic violence and describe scenes of that. And so th if that is, you know, a trigger for you, please proceed with caution or stop the episode. All right, so we begin. Back in the early 2010s, when I was finishing my PhD at the University of Austin, says Anne Helen Peterson speaking, 
I spent a lot of time in the Harry Ransom Center, the renowned archive that houses the papers of Robert De Niro, Gloria Swanson, producer David O. Selznick, and many, many others. I spent hours in those archives, trying to figure out the way various star images were manufactured, how Selznick, for example, chose to mold the publicity around Vivian Lee once she was cast as Scarlett O'Hara, or how Gloria Swanson managed to lightly satirize herself in Sunset Boulevard while studiously preserving her early glamour. Time staring at receipts and photo proofs and correspondence with press agents confirmed what I knew through my own study of history and theory of celebrity to be true. That stars were people, but their images, the way they came to mean within a particular societal moment, that was a product as massage and manufactured as any film plot. I start with this story to give you a sense of the headspace I was in when I first heard from a grad student friend working the front desk that Brad Pitt had recently been to the archive. He was in the area filming Tree of Life with Terrence Malick, the reclusive director, who'd come out of reclusiveness to spend time with the then head of the archive, Tom Staley. Pitt, accompanied by Jolie, had apparently asked to view items from some of the archive's collections and had been, according to the archive Scuttlebutt, attentive and deferential. Stars, they like esoteric archival finds just like us. If you would have told me that story in, say, the early 2000s when Pitt, his hair highlighted gold, was still in what seemed to be an ideal marriage with the equally golden Jennifer Aniston, it would have seemed weird, off, maybe just untrue. But I believed it, at least in part because it fit with Pitt's image at the time, which managed to blend the bright light of superstardom with an erudite appreciation and obsession with art and architecture seemingly unlocked through his relationship with Jolie. So you guys, one thing I also will say, so we did a reading of the cut article and people really liked that. So we're going to see how this goes on a regular episode, but we're going to do commentary throughout, but we kind of got to get to the gist before we do. Right. Okay. So she continues. I have studied Angelina Jolie's publicity maneuvers for nearly two decades. Back in 2014, I wrote about her perfect game, the way she, seemingly without the assistance of any traditional PR counsel, managed to not just weather, but win the gossip cycle surrounding her fledging relationship with Brad Pitt. At the time, Jolie deflected from her scandalous affair, not with tell-alls or backhanded allegations, but by engaging in activism and global philanthropy and disaster work and allowing those photos of her at those events speak for themselves. The strategy of active passivity has also characterized Jolie's approach to her dissolution of her marriage to Pitt. Okay, actually, before we get into that. So I think that that is a very, very interesting point to make. Mm -hmm. So at the time that Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie got together, they had obviously met or started working together on the set of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and that's where sparks flew. And Mm -hmm. I think that Anyone with eyes that can see or ears that can hear and Mm -hmm. knew about this couple and how they met had a shred of the powers of deduction could deduce that they started an affair on the movie set. Right, right. I mean, if you saw the movie, you could feel the steam coming off the screen. And so I think that, you know, it actually speaks to the power of good PR strategy that the tide of public opinion did not turn against Angelina Jolie. In fact, I would say that, yes, you know, there was a conversation about it, but really their relationship was widely celebrated, glamorized. They were on the covers of magazines. I mean, they became the new it couple and then family. Well, and honestly, like the 
media then turned their attention on Jennifer Aniston and just what a sad sack she was after, or, you know, it made her seem like she just, you know, was just completely broken, which I'm sure she was to some degree, but it was like, it was all about Jen's heartbreak and how her life had crumbled versus villainizing Angelina Jolie. I think there was a little bit of, I mean, and also just Angelina Jolie has an energy that's darker. And so mm-hmm. I do think there was some, but yeah, it was mostly about Jennifer Aniston. Well, also the discussion and cultural rhetoric around the time was Jennifer Aniston is so basic. She likes yoga. Right, she likes right. to take her trips Smart to water. Cabo. Right, exactly. Compared to Angelina Jolie, who's mm-hmm. not just a TV star, but she's a film star. She's a movie star. Right, right. She's a philanthropist. She rides motorcycles through Africa. She's dangerous and she's highly philanthropic. She leads an interesting life, not just a glamorous mm-hmm. life, right? And it was this this conversation that Brad Pitt has chosen the artistic, highbrow, interesting life. Right, right. Angela Jolie still has this energy to this day. She gave an, an interview recently where they asked her if she was going to continue to act. And she said most likely that she's going to stop pretty soon, you know, because she wants to do other things with her life. She wants to learn languages. She wants mm-hmm. to, you know, immerse herself in other cultures. It's kind of Daniel Day-Lewis adjacent energy. Yeah, yeah. It's aspirational, not super relatable. But- yeah, a much more serious character. Right. And... Really, the infidelity was clear as day, but a lot of us couldn't see it because we were swept up in the glamour of her and also persuaded by the images of her philanthropic work. Absolutely. So Anne Helen continues, the strategy of active passivity has also characterized Jolie's approach to the dissolution of her marriage to Pitt, which was sparked by a plane ride from France to Los Angeles in which Pitt, according to initial reports, shook and pushed Jolie, pushed one of their children, and when the plane landed to refuel in Minnesota, attempted to drive off from the plane in a gas truck. Jolie allowed those initial reports to speak for themselves. Until relatively recently, she has largely kept out of the limelight, emerging with her children to publicize her new film, Eternals, and grabbing the news cycle away from any discussion of Pitt by focusing on recycled fashion from previous red carpet looks for her daughters. Let me say really quick. Can we just let that sink in that scene from the plane? Do you want to restate that sentence? Yeah, let me reread that because it's it's actually a ton and I, I think... I didn't fully grasp it until I read this article. So the dissolution of her marriage to Pitt, which was sparked by a plane ride from France to Los Angeles in which Pitt, here we go, shook and pushed Jolie, pushed one of their children. And then when the plane landed to refuel, he attempted to drive off from the plane in a gas truck. So it's not just like this, you know, outburst on the plane where he pushes her, pushes a kid, still not okay. But then the plane lands and he is fully off the rails and tries to drive off in like a truck sitting on the tarmac. Like what? That That is fully unhinged. I mean, I think the sentence almost can sound not necessarily normal, but you can almost kind of gloss past it in your mind. Yes. Because it's not like, oh, he punched her, he punched a kid, yeah. just shook. But then you really consider what it would be like to have your partner shake you. Yes. Um, right, right. Like what would it be like for them to grab their hands on you violently and shake mm-hmm. you, to have them do that to your child? That is domestic abuse. That is so extreme. That is just so real and devastating. And then these reports released revealed that, Chandler. Mm-hmm. And somehow we've all just missed it. Right, right. 
and the driving off in a gas truck, that's terrifying. I mean, to have your kids witness you have a full episode like that is is so scarring. And what choice is she left with at that point, right? Like, oh, she's just going to stay with him? Doesn't matter right, how much right. she loves him. Anyway, let's keep going. But there's really so much here. It's also all tied to his drinking. It's all tied right. to alcoholism. Um, okay, but we continue on. But then things got messy around the French winery Jolie co-owned with Pitt. In short, Pitt would only buy out Jolie's half of the property if she agreed to a non-disclosure agreement. Jolie refused those terms and went to court to receive approval to sell her stake to a subsidiary of the Stoli Group. Earlier this year, Pitt filed suit against Jolie, alleging a violation of contractual rights in the sale. Jolie then filed a counter-complaint, arguing that she sold her stake in the winery because of Pitt's insistence on a non-disclosure agreement. Her lawyers also concluded the fact that the FBI, which investigated the incident on the plane involving the physical assault of Jolie and the couple's children, had, quote, concluded that the government had probable cause to charge Pitt with a federal crime for his conduct that day. I mean the government has probable cause that's when right. this is not just hearsay this is when okay you you have to think about what it would take to get off a plane in a blind rage and then get into a gas truck right okay right. to drive away in it this is completely berserk off right, the rails right. unhinged dark the fbi is involved it's not the local police it's not the minnesota police Right. So you got to you got to imagine flight crew mm-hmm. saw it's this like national episode. security. I think it must be something tied to that because it's like that's what would trigger an FBI level investigation. And you know what? It actually gets deeper, Chandler, than just trying to drive away in a diesel truck. Right. Um, in that filing, Jolie also alleges that she had maintained her silence about the event to protect her family from further attention. It was Pitt's lawsuit then that forced the issue. As Jolie's lawyers account in their filing, Pitt grabbed Jolie by the head and shook her. then grabbed her shoulders and shook her again before pushing her into the bathroom wall. The countersuit also details Pitt choking one of their children who had come to Jolie's aid and pouring wine and beer on them. Okay, so this is is like Johnny Depp level. This is Johnny Depp level. Yeah. And so while we're all, you know, getting hot and bothered for Brad Pitt, this is actually going on behind the scenes, everyone. Okay. So then, and continues, these allegations are deeply upsetting. So why haven't they marred Brad Pitt's image? It's not even a matter of whether or not Pitt is canceled, even though, as we've seen, to be canceled is to keep working pretty much as steadily as you once did. But there has been no real scandal. If anything, reading the press around the case, you'd probably get the distinct feeling that Jolie is the villain. How many times have you been reading articles, thinking about them, and thought of her as the villain? I just want everyone listening to this episode to consider that. Because I know I have. I know I have. She seems like a cold snake, unfeeling woman who, you know. Using the children against him. Yes, yes. And he's just like this relatable, down-to-earth, fun-loving, hot guy who we've all loved and known forever. For sure. He's the hot dilf or he's the dad with wacky fashion sense you know right and it's all green outfits he's infinitely lovable because of the rhetoric because of the pr spin around him but i but i digress um how did pitt wrest control over the narrative not only of his image but of their marriage and the reason for its dissolution the answer lies in the makeup of pitt and jolie's individual images and their strategies towards publicity 
Over the course of her career, Jolie has proven herself to be a publicity chameleon, capable of transforming public opinion about her form from that of a sex-crazed vixen who wears her husband's blood in a vial around her neck to that of St. Angelina, makeupless in a white t-shirt on the front lines of aid work after a natural disaster or advocating for girls' education. Watching Jolie's image transformation as a star scholar back in the late 2000s, I saw what she was doing, but I also bought it. She was very, very good at what she did and how she steered her success straight through the development of her relationship with Pitt and the end of Pitt's marriage to Jennifer Aniston. In the aftermath, it was Jolie with the hottest star in the world, the power, the money, the ever-expanding family. She seemingly got it all. The story of her past neutralized, if not altogether sanitized. After the fight on the plane, Jolie took the initiative to file for divorce and at least at that point owned the news cycle. Pitt was clearly the jerk, but her understandable decision to recede from public publicity, however correct it might have been for her family and herself, created a narrative vacuum that Pitt and his publicity team slowly began to fill. Um, This is like the thing that I think is so interesting. One of them is that really... By protecting her children, right? By not having, you know, not airing her dirty laundry. Right, right. Not being willing to castigate him, to seek revenge on him in a way that she could have done an interview with Oprah Winfrey in Santa Barbara and his ass would have been grass, right? Uh-huh. Like she could mm-hmm. have revealed all these details and gone after him. And the court of public opinion would have rested in her favor. But because she was interested in the mental health and well-being of her family, she's willing to let his PR machine essentially make him the idol again. Right. Well, she knows the truth, right? right. And her the right. villain. Okay, so it continues... Pitt is also a massive star in a world with fewer and fewer of them. And the dynamics of this current moment in star access and media position power over what he talks about and to whom firmly on his side. As a result, he and his publicity team, most notably crisis PR expert Matthew Hiltzik, who also represents Johnny Depp, Mm -hmm. were able to garner coverage that touched only lightly on what happened on that plane, if at all, while framing his past as a place he had recovered from, while also emphasizing both his newfound sobriety and his artistry, both as a producer and an actor. A 2019 interview in the Times ahead of the release of Ad Astra, I guess that's a movie, mentioned that Pitt and Jolie had fought about his drinking while aboard a private plane, but emphasized that Pitt is committed to his sobriety and spent a year and a half in Alcoholics Anonymous following his divorce. That time is framed as cathartic, without judgment, valuable. A place where Pitt, who had never, according to this interview, felt comfortable in the spotlight, had no desire for fame, was able to expose his ugly sides of himself, and we are to believe move past them. This is where credulity is strained. The fact that he just never wanted to be in the spotlight. He was just this, you know, star plucked from obscurity. Even though he's been a star for his entire life, he's never, you know, found respite, like, from the limelight. It a little bit is in the same camp to me as like influencers who adopt a poverty chic aesthetic when they're actually secretly really rich. Here we go. I love this. And it's just a kind of hypocrisy mm-hmm. and again, a collective strained credulity that I don't feel like straining. Okay. I'm, I'm over, I, I, I'm over the strain. Okay. And it just irritates me. It's like, are you really operating a beef farm or are you the, you know, are you an heir to JetBlue? Uh, so anyway, oh. um, <laughs> I just, I just, again, I just feel like it's Bella Hadid being like, I don't care about my, all this work I've had done. Right. Um, but also 
you know, look at me rule the world as a supermodel. It's just like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And it's again, oh, I'm Brad Pitt. I've never tried to be famous. To stay a top star, you guys, do you know how easy it is to be a one hit wonder, to have your star fade? These people are always, always trying to stay at the top. If he never wanted to be a star, why did he star in The Lost City literally six (laughs) months ago with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum? Like a full, like, stupid ass blockbuster like yeah okay right okay okay. yeah exactly okay so this is this is why we're we are what this is what we're interested in doing here on pop apologists it's getting to what's actually going on okay not just not just saying oh brad pitt was so hot oh brad pitt's dating emirata how cool how like what's our hot take no no let's get to the real what the real what's really happening okay Yeah. yeah um so then the article continues Pitt might have messed up, or as he told the Times, he had, quote, family stuff going on. But again, he had grown past it, matured, become a new man. A point that was driven home in a truly fawning profile penned by the usually acerbic Otessa Moshfeg for the cover of the August issue of GQ. See, this is where you want to be at in terms of your cultural commentary. When you know that that Otessa Moshfeg is usually acerbic, that is the time. What mean? I honestly don't know. Let's go. Critiquing? Let's look it up. It's sharp and forthright. Okay. So the, yeah. Um, I mean, so usually the honest Otessa Moshfeg. Right. Um, For the cover of the August issue of GQ, shot by experimental art photographer Elisaveta Pordina in a way that screams, I'm very serious about art. I remember when this article came out. I thought it was so gross. Oh, really? You could tell that it was like just fawning. Yeah, I just, at the time, there was just something that didn't sit well with me with idolizing Brad Pitt in light of, and I don't think this is revisionist history. history. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't love idolizing this guy who clearly had a bunch of issues, right? Right, right. Um, it, it just, like, we just don't give women this kind of grace. We absolutely do not. And I think one thing that Ann Peterson is doing in this article is just, you know, drawing the unfortunate Venn diagram between Johnny Depp and Brad Pitt that I didn't, I didn't want to draw this Venn diagram today. I didn't, I didn't want this, but here we are. And it's the truth. Well, Anne continues Chandler in her truth telling. (laughs) Ostensibly the GQ cover and accompanying spread was intended to promote Pitt's buddy film bullet train, but it too was readying Pitt's image to accommodate and absorb any potential shock from a countersuit from Jolie. Not only was he sober, but he was even more committed to his art to contemplation than ever. As Hunter Harris put it earlier this month in her newsletter hung up, his playbook is so obvious. Side note, Hunter Harris is an amazing pop culture writer who I cannot recommend enough. incredible okay she continues obvious hackneyed old school hollywood style and effective pitt is out there filling the air with the story that he's changed while jolie has stuck with her studied form of active passivity in april politico reported that a woman had filed for a freedom of information request to unseal the contents of the fbi investigation of the incident on the plane that woman of course was jolie she was showing not telling But this time, various gossip outlets that used the story of the uh, FOIA request to suggest Jolie was engaging in a manipulative smear campaign. Of course, she was trying to torpedo Pitt's image in a lawsuit that had nothing to do with what happened on the plane. Of course, she was dragging his name through the mud. Of course, she couldn't move on. No matter that it was Pitt who had filed the suit about Jolie's sale of the winery in the first place. 
can I also just say like in the midst of this, right? So she's trying to just have these documents unsealed because so, that's clearly her sword, right? That's right. her power. That's the leverage she has mm-hmm. is what happened on that plane. Right. The second that goes away, she's completely powerless. Right. So of course she's not going to sign that away. She's smart. Right. right. Um, so she responds and she wants the, the, the details to be revealed. Um, I don't know. I just think that maybe there's something, maybe it's no coincidence that Brad Pitt and Emrata start, you know, are seen together. Maybe it's no coincidence that that takes over the headlines. Okay. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. again, sometimes people will be like, oh, I want your hot take on this. And I feel like, like with that, I just didn't know what was really happening. And it just, it seemed like a PR story, right? There's no actual photos of them together. They're probably not actually seeing each other, but it's probably good for both of them for various reasons. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Elaine Liu has been tracking and analyzing celebrity on her website, Lainey Gossip, for nearly two decades. We love Lainey Gossip on this podcast. Over the past few months, she has been meticulously breaking down the gossip press's defense of Pitt. TMZ, Us Weekly, and the Daily Mail people all want to play nice with Team Pitt, particularly ahead of a big Oscar campaign for his forthcoming film, Babylon, directed by Damien Chazelle. TMZ called Jolie's countersuit a smear campaign, claiming she had poisoned the kid against Brad. People repeatedly mentioned Jolie going back on an agreement they'd previously made, in quotes, even though there was no evidence of said agreement. The magazine also underlined that, according to a source close to Pitt, the actor had dinner with his younger kids whenever they were in Los Angeles. E reported that he spends low-key time with his kids at home. This is just so, okay. so it's, it gets when, it, This one gets so good. This is when we as sheeple need to wake up and we need to right. pay attention to the pictures. Okay, here we go. Pitt's PR was framing him, in other words, as forgiven. But as Lou explains, few people are better at playing the game than he is. And if he could, we would have seen photos of him with his kids a long time ago. The fact that we haven't is a major PR issue for him, which is why he has to go on the attack on Angelina and claim that she's alienated them from him so that he can divert attention from the fact that they were on that plane. And also, I think it's to divert attention away from the fact that he's not with his kids. Right. 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 I feel like I've said that. I've said, like, yeah. it's obvious who the good person is right, in the situation right. or who's really the villain. Because look at who the children have decided to spend their time with. Look at who right. is the 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 teenage children who are in the eyes of the court, mm-hmm. you know, have the power. I think after 14, you get to pick where you want to live. So look at where they're choosing to be with. Yeah, you talked about this in our deep dive because yes. there's no photos of Brad Pitt and his kids these days. I I can't remember the last time I saw one. Right, exactly. And as Lainey said, he's so good at PR. Right. If, if he could get them, he would get them, but he can't. And there's a reason for that. He doesn't shy away from any publicity. I mean, think about like the the stupid ass, you know, t-shirt, cashmere t-shirt line that he just did. Like he's not shying away from any type of good PR. It's all contrived you guys think about remember when he dated that 27 year old model that was an angelina jolie lookalike and the picture Mm -hmm. of them getting on the private plane the celebrities are virtually only photographed when they want to be photographed when they have a story to tell yeah anyway do you want to read this next part 
Yeah. All of this is deeply sad smut. Sad smut has long been Lainey's term to describe situations that are, in some way, scandalous, unsettling not only our understanding of who the star was, but our relationship to them, but in a way that makes it impossible not to see the deep harm that accompanied the scandal. The last 15 years of Britney Spears' life, sad smut. Reports of any suicide attempt, sad smut. Shia LaBeouf's abuse of ex-girlfriend FK Twigs, sad smut. I think that Jolie always understood Pitt's abuse on that plane as exactly that. Horrific in person, horrific in reports. There was no coming back from it, not from her relationship and not from their collective public image. And while Jolie might come off as the villain in some of these popular framings, I think that she also understood that when you try to spin sad smut, the stink of it, the moral compromise of it, it clings to you. I feel like we need to read that again. It's This is the crux of everything. It's so much. So... And while Jolie might come off as the villain in some of these popular framings, I think she also understood that when you try to spin sad smut, the stink of it, the moral compromise of it, it clings to you. Jolie may no longer command the same salary as Pitt. She may be losing this moment in the broader publicity war, but she doesn't walk around town or show up on the cover of GQ with that stench clinging to her. Hollywood's impulse has always been to forgive its leading men of their gravest sins while damning women for theirs. That tradition, at least with Pitt, continues. But if he is indeed the last of the big Hollywood stars, then he, like Depp, might also be one of the last to enjoy its protections. I mean, I think it's it's just extremely chilling. Yeah. It's extremely chilling to see the way in which someone who court documents reveal the FBI felt that there were grounds for a federal investigation. We've all been led to idolize that person once more. Mm-hmm. And I would like to have all of our listeners be wary of these narratives and wary of false idols, frankly. Right. I I think, too, you know, Angelina might be losing this battle, this PR battle, but she's winning the war in the sense that, you know, Brad Pitt will forever be associated with these types of things like Johnny Depp will. And I will say that if... <laughs> If the thing that matters the most is your kids, um, mm-hmm. she's one, right? Because yeah. she's the one who actually has the relationship with her children, right. is the center of that home. Um, and, you know, a, a great a great quote from our childhood, no success in the, in the workplace can make right. up for failure in the home. Um, and I actually think that's true, right? Yeah. And I think that, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really, really dark, especially the revelation about him shaking her by the head. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. Terrifying. Isn't the story that like Maddox, I think, stepped in to like try to defend her and that's when he attacked him? I think that I think and that's then he what it is. poured alcohol on them. <sighs> it's it's Johnny Depp level demeaning and, right. and terrible and awful and despicable. Right. So sorry, everyone who came to this podcast, probably hoping for something a little lighter today. But I, I think Chandler and I read this article and we were just so floored by the revelations. And I think also what it said about, you know, the way that our minds can be shaped mm-hmm. by the media and the, the narratives we can buy into when we really don't know the whole story. So that's why right. I think we all just need to be wary of, you know, we don't know what we don't know. That's something I always think about. We don't know what we don't know. And just to get, you know, on a macro level for a second, I think that's what we want to do at Pop Apologist. We want to be, you know, students of pop culture and, you know, also scrutinize it and, you know, see it for what it is. 
Well, and and not only that, but also Chomar will say, um, and we kind of talked about this a little bit in New York, but there's always there was that quote, like, you know, small minds think about about things, medium minds think about people, uh, people and big minds think about big brains or smart people think about ideas. When we're talking about people, we're actually talking about ideas. Right. We're talking about, okay, what does it mean to be virtuous? What does it mean to be loyal? Right, what does it mean right. to be to be committed? Yeah. You know, what does it mean to have integrity, to trust? Like all of this stuff, it's all lessons. It's all the way societies right. have collective morals and rules. Without those kind of uh, without those structures in place, yeah. you know, we – uh, we enter the realm of chaos at our own peril. Wow. Um, yeah. So on that note, Lauren and I have don't have medium-sized brains. We have large brains. And we'll leave you with that. See you next week. You guys, see you next week. Love ya. Um, this week, we will have a Patreon on Friday. You guys, please share the podcast. Please, if you love the pod, share it with a friend. If you thought this episode was interesting, send it to everyone you know. Send it to at least one friend. Please share. Help us grow. Share the pod. And please. We're like 20 reviews away from a thousand reviews on iTunes. So if you would be so kind as to leave us a review on iTunes, help us get to that 1K, it would really be amazing. It would be amazing. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Love you guys. Bye. That's all for now, folks. Don't forget, give us a five-star review. Hit us up on Instagram at Apologists, and we will see you next week, live every Wednesday. Bye.